Let's go. You are listening to Dollars and Sensibility, the podcast that explores the numbers, concepts, and behaviors that shape your financial life. Hosts, business partners, and friends, Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are financial advisors in Hollywood, California, that for a combined 35 years have helped thousands of individuals and businesses better their financial futures. Here, they want to open these discussions to you, the listener, share the many things they have learned, and of course, how to be sensible about your dollars. Welcome back to another episode of the Dollars and Sensibilities podcast. I am your host, Andrew Martz, here with my good friend and co-host, Mr. Bill McBride. Bill, how are you this Friday afternoon? Phenomenal today, Andrew. How are you? Doing fantastic. Are you ready for the question of the day? I am ready. Hit me. Kind of a silly one. So in our business, constantly documentation, signing things, do you have a preferred style of pen? Ooh, uh, Zebra F301, 100%. Okay, so that's it's, the brand and the model. Is that a is that a, a, a ballpoint? Is that gel? What, what type of pen is it? I want to say it's a ballpoint, but they're mildly expensive. I think you're going to pay three or four bucks for one, but they last forever. Um, they don't come off on your hands. They they dry quickly. I'm mm. going to say ballpoint. Something like that, right? I'm a gel man myself. I like a good gel pen. Um, they're cheap. What's a gel pen? Just the like paper mate or, you know, any Bic or any of the, the major pen manufacturers make them right. just again, how they, how they write. I always feel like my signature looks best with a gel pen and that, so that's how I gauge the type of pen in which I like is how well does my signature look. Anyway, <laughs> nothing to do with today's topic. Uh, <laughs> today, uh, I want to talk about something very specific, uh, which is money in relationships. So we have discussed on this podcast before, uh, and it's our belief that money, it's not the most important thing in life. It is one of the, the common denominators in all things that are important in our life. So money plays a vital role in relationships and even their success or failures. So many people are probably familiar with the often quoted fact that money is the second leading causes of divorces and, you know, the number one issue that married couples argue about. And this may seem like an overwhelming or kind of a daunting task to if you are in a relationship, whether dating or or married to confront the issue of money, what we wanted to do today was simply just uncover some of the most common things we find in relationships as it relates to money and how we can overcome some of these. So I know you and I, a lot of the questions we receive about money and relationships are focused on tactical things. So should we have joint accounts or individual accounts? Do we separate our money? Is there one household account? You know, do we save in her 401k and pay off his debt? So on and, and and so forth. Um, and a lot of this stuff is is nuanced, tactical, can be very specific to the individual couple. And I, I don't know about you, but I find there are literally endless tactical questions as it relates to the area of money. But luckily, there is no shortage of research on this topic of how this relates to relationships and money. Yeah. And, and just as you're talking, Andrew, I'm um 
my head is swimming with all the different scenarios that I've seen over the years, right? Meaning that, you know, a couple says, hey, I want this in my name and I want my beneficiary to be my wife, but what if they're a community property state? And what, you know, what if we're getting divorced? This is my second marriage. There's just, it goes on and on and it's very, it's very specific, but the overarching point is that it applies to every relationship, right? So every marriage whether you are the breadwinner or whether you are the person that handles the money or whether you have it 50-50, you've got to deal with it in some way, shape, or form. That's right. And we want to be sensitive to know that there are, there are so many different circumstances surrounding relationships, as you alluded to. Uh, you know, you could be just a young couple, maybe just cohabitating, not, not married. You could be, uh, like you alluded to, uh, previously divorced onto a new relationship, either new relationship or new marriage. Um, so all of these things are going to really dictate and steer into how you view money inside of relationships. So today we're going to discuss some some research from some industry leaders on the topic of money and its relo- its role in relationships. So let, let's jump in. Here's the number one overarching overwhelming thing that I think everybody needs to know about money as it relates to your your relationship. That debt is going to cripple it. Okay, so let's just listen to some of this and then then I want to unpack it with you, Bill. First, couples who fight about money have roughly $30,000 in consumer debt on average. So just so you know, this particular survey was over 1,100 different adult couples over the age of 25 in the U.S. today. So nearly two-thirds, 63% of all marriages started off in the red, meaning they had a negative net worth. Bringing debt into a marriage is trending upward over time. So younger generations today, millennials, Gen Zs, and uh, even younger Gen Xs have much more debt than the previous generation. So here's how we we uncovered this. 43% of couples married more than 25 years, right? So you have 25 years in your marriage or more, 43% of them started off in debt. While 86% of couples, that's nearly double, of couples married five years or less started off in the red. So this is this is unbelievable. And I think there's a couple of really practical things that would, would lead into that, right? To, to me, the number one is student debt. So many young people today are coming out of college and starting off their careers with just a ton of student debt. And I mean, that that in and of itself can be anywhere from a couple of hundred dollars to five, six, seven, you know, in upwards of a thousand dollars a month in payments. I mean, this is going to really, really hurt your ability to save or budget for your household and can quickly cause some tension, you know, with your significant other. While we're dealing with these numbers, Andrew, of, you know, certainly uh, numbers are numbers, right? But I think they're directly correlated to, like you said, student loan debt, but as well as credit card debt. So America as a country is much more in debt in terms of student loans and credit cards than they were 25 years ago. And there's the differential, right? So, so not only has the average household incurred more debt, credit card and student loan, 
But the average household now, 25 years later, uh, it would stand to reason that those numbers have doubled, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, number number two for me was going to be credit card debt, right? So you got student loan debt, credit card debt. And again, I think that those are, are probably correlated figures, right? Meaning because you have these high debt bills, you know, student loan bills, it forces you now to use credit cards in many ways to just support your lifestyle. Not that there aren't other ways in a budget to be able to save, but I think that that is going to really cause somebody to be behind as it relates to just their monthly cash flow uh, and certainly saving and investing for the future. So here, here's right. what was really interesting. 41% of couples who have consumer debt right? So uh, nearly half say that they argue about money and it's what they argue about the most. So this, so it, it, you know, you look at all couples who have any sort of consumer debt. So this isn't how student loan debt. This is exactly what you're referring to credit card or other sorts of consumer debt. Almost half of these couples are arguing about money. It's the number one thing that they argue about. And think about it, though. It, it is credit card debt is deeply psychological in the way we perceive ourselves and the way we perceive other people. If you're walking into a marriage and you are the person that pays off your credit card hmm. every month and carries no credit card balance and you are marrying somebody that typically carries a balance of five, ten thousand, makes the minimum payment and has had that ten thousand dollars in credit card debt for the last 15 years it might drive you crazy, right? And depending on, or you, worst situation is where two people that have the same view of kicking the can with their credit card debt, they're, they're fooling themselves and then they get into a marriage with another person that's like-minded and then they find themselves 10 years down the road arguing even further about the very things that they've, they, they've done to themselves that have now compounded by two. Right. That's it. I mean, and it, it becomes a never ending cycle of how do, how do we get out of this? So number one, debt is crippling to relationships, right? Focus on the debt, both personally. So if you're, this is even great for, for people who are single, who are in this pursuit of a significant other, whether it's a long-term relationship or, or marriage, eventually getting yourself into a position where you have less or no debt is actually going to set up your future relationship all the much better. So not just for married people or people in relationships today, this is for single people too. Uh, but number two, this is a big issue Thanks, Andrew. is <laughs> appreciate that. We're just, Hey, listen, we're just out here matchmaking on dollars and sensibilities. But, but no, you know what, Andrew, it, it, that's a good point though. When you're dating, right, or not even in a relationship, that that seems to be kind of a um, an underlying uh, qualification for for a significant other, right? If you're if you have no credit card debt and you're not living paycheck to paycheck, and you're talking to somebody who has been in credit card debt, you're 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 coming from a different angle, right? And and it transcends just the financial part of a relationship, which, right. as we're discussing, is the number one thing that people argue about. So if you if you can't get past that number one argument, you know who's going to take the kids to kindergarten and who's going to stay home with them and, and those kinds of discussions, they come down the line and they can be that much more difficult when you don't agree on the the, the primary math of your of your financial existence. That's right. So number two. 
we do not want to assume because you and I both know what happens when we assume. Here's what I found really interesting. Overwhelmingly, couples think that they communicate well. So uh, again, 1,100 respondents to this survey said 72% feel that they communicate exceptionally or very well. 97% of couples um, believe that they were agreement in all measures of financial matters. In addition to that, 90% agree that a conversation about topics such as household budgets, savings, and investments is not difficult. So what we're what they're saying is what this the statistic is telling us is that basically couples feel like they're doing really well when they're communicating with their partners about money topics, whether it's saving for the future, budgeting, how much they make, uh, so on and so forth. But then what we found, what the research actually told us is that 43% of those same couples couldn't even agree on their partner's personal income. <laughs> so they didn't even know what the other, how much money the other person actually made. Yeah. When, when you, when you were reciting those statistics about 72% feel they communicate well, my my thought immediately goes to into visualizing that research study room or is somebody with a clipboard outside of uh, Whole Foods, right? Where are they getting these numbers from? Because if you ask a a husband and wife in front of each other, do you guys communicate well about your finances? And they're you know they're coming from the farmers market on Saturday morning and the sun's shining. They're gonna go, oh yeah, we do great. But when they do their monthly budget and they sit down, that might be a different uh, different conversation, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, ju- just almost half uh, of the people in the survey didn't know what their their partner made was astonishing to me. Um, yeah, and the and the disconnect is even higher than the previous iteration of that same survey that was conducted. So they do this every five years, and previously it was only twenty seven percent. So so what what it's saying is this number is now growing. So the disconnect between what people believe they they know and communicate well with their partners and what people actually knows is a growing and widening gap. Uh, 10% of the people got got the income number wrong by more than 25,000, which is a significant amount of money to be <laughs> off on. I mean, imagine you're, you're thinking your partner makes $100,000 and you're budgeting and spending based on the assumption, oh yeah, you know, so-and-so makes, makes $100,000 when in actuality right. they make 70. Well, that difference right. is a significant difference in lifestyle choices, where you're eating, what sort of entertainment or shopping you're doing, what sort of services and monthly subscriptions you have, that's going to impact a lot of it. Yeah. And, and I think that that that's indicative of the, the ostrich syndrome, right? Where we, we see a lot of couples, one part of the couple buries their head in the sand and the other, the other one handles the finances, right? And then that can be it can be disempowering for that for that person, right? It's easier, right? Hey, my spouse handles it. My spouse handles it. Honey, how much how much am I going to be able to spend on uh, food shopping this month? And and you know, I, I just think that's not it's not effective communication, right? You don't both have to be on top of it all day every day, but I I think when certainly if one out of ten uh, couples are off by $25,000 or more 
understanding the the household income, let alone their their partner, um, that's a disconnect that needs to be fixed. And it doesn't end with income. So nearly a third of couples disagreed on the amount of their household's total investable assets. So when asked, hey, how much money would you have to invest in, in longer term investments or retirement investments and, and things of that nature? 36% of respondents disagreed on what that amount actually was, which again, just becomes a huge disconnect, not from a day-to-day cash flow and spending, but now we're talking about goal setting. And you and I both know that when you are trying to uncover and help uh, somebody with a financial plan, understanding goals, time horizons, what the future in that vision is going to look like is absolutely a key ingredient. And if you can't determine or accurately decide how much investable capital we have as a couple, being able to develop a plan is going to be very, very difficult. Right. And, and again, you know, of course, this always comes back to communication. The detriment of not understanding your total, total investable assets as a, as a household can also come from the lack of financial education or financial agreement, right? So one part of the couple might think that uh, the credit card debt is, you know, a manageable use of their finances, right? And and they, they've got a plan in their head on how they're using the credit cards for short-term financing of certain things. And the other thinks that, you know, credit cards are just pure evil and should never be touched. That's right? it. And that, that goes back to episode whatever with the money scripts, right? So, you come to a marriage or any relationship, you come into it with your own money scripts and not addressing those, I, I think, is, uh, is, can be a fatal flaw. So number three, here's where I think the rubber really meets the road. Above all else, the most important thing for a couple to do as it relates to money is communicate. And I would even say over communicate because as we just learned sometimes there's a disconnect what you what you think you're saying and what you think you're hearing what what's actually being sent and, and received so this i found really interesting couples who regularly talk about money are happier uh, in their relationships than those who discuss finances less frequently okay well that seems like a dumb moment so couples who say that they talk about money at least once per week 42 percent of them describe their relationship as extremely happy compared with 27% of those who talk about money less than once per month. What is that saying? The more frequency that you talk about money, right, if it's weekly or biweekly, the higher likelihood you have to be happier or at least perceived happiness in your relationship. So not only the the quality of the conversation, but really the, the frequency. And I think this is oftentimes what I try to encourage people to do. You don't have to be financial experts. You don't have to be, you know, you don't have to necessarily know everything. What you do have to do is take intentional time. I call it money dates, right? So any any couples we advise, I always say take 30 minutes and put it on the calendar to have a money date. And you can talk about any money topics, things that you want to buy, vacations you want to go on, you know, spending that's already occurred, looking over your bank statements or budgets, checking in on credit card debt or other other sorts of debt goals that you may have. But take time intentionally. Don't make it more than just 30 minutes. Put it on the calendar. Meet together to discuss money. Very, very important. Well- I mean that that's just great marriage advice, right? I mean, you know, you've you've talked to me, I mean, personally before about, you know, date nights and 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 that kind of thing and and if 
finance is the number one leading cause of divorce, then why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you put that even ahead of that date night, making sure that you get some time, make time together to just to spend with each other, time together to spend with each other talking about the one thing that could possibly uh, be a sense of discord in, in the marriage or the relationship. That's right. Last thing before we get to our relationship saving money tips, last thing I want to talk about is power dynamics in relationships. So you you alluded to this, but I think it's just important to understand that there can be, right? Money oftentimes can be representative of authority and or power. And this isn't a, a gender thing. This isn't a, a race thing. This isn't anything other than who can control the finances. So power plays can often occur in one of these four scenarios. So first, when one partner has an income producing job and the other one doesn't. So one spouse works, they're the primary breadwinner, and the other spouse does not. Now, this may be by choice, or this may be by circumstance. So choice would be, hey, one spouse wants to stay home to raise the children. One spouse is for some reason unable to, to work. They have some sort of thing that will prevent them from working. Or it could be circumstance, meaning it's just not a great job market. I just lost my job and I haven't been able to find new employment yet. But now you have one spouse earning all the money, but two spouses, or excuse me, two, two people in the relationship spending the money. So it would be one, one power play. The next one. Next one would be both partners would like to be working, but one is employed. Kind of, kind of related to number one, right? But if you've got, uh, you know, everybody wants to be uh, contributing to the household finance, but for whatever reason, one one is not, be it frictional unemployment or uh, maybe even self-employment, and and business isn't going well for for one or the other, right? And two different income earning scenarios can also be akin to this, right? So one person is self-employed during uh, during a global pandemic and there's zero dollars coming in, yep. right? That can psychologically play into the power dynamics of the relationship. That's right. So number three, uh, and this ha happens often when one partner earns significantly more than the other. So both are working, but one's job or one's employment just produces a lot more income than the other. So now the scales are tilted in favor of one as far as the, the earnings power. So what happens is there could be resentments or biases. And it's important to understand how that power play relates to the relationship. Uh, meaning going back to number one, are there shared accounts? Do we split the bills evenly? Is there an understanding that, hey, for a certain lifestyle, the partner who has more produces more income is contributing more because they want to have that certain lifestyle. So understanding where that, that dynamic comes in, I think is really, really important, but just another way that you can see that power shift happening when it comes to money. And I think the two operative terms there, Andrew, to be, to be wary of are guilt and privilege, right? So if, if one person is not making as much as the other one, there might be a guilt involved there in spending money, mm. or there might be a privilege there in spending money um, because they've contributed to what we're going to get into as number four. One partner maybe comes from a family that has money and the other doesn't, right? So, you know, we alluded in the beginning to 
all the different scenarios of 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 how finances can work out and you know joint accounts and things like that and living trusts and wills and and, and things of that nature you know if you come into a relationship with $30,000 in credit card debt and you marry somebody that just inherited $17 million that's an interesting power dynamic there right uh and, and it's something that you have to have to address I think too another another interesting way that this plays out is one of the partners comes from a family of money but hasn't necessarily taken ownership or received the benefit of that family money and you know particularly when when two individuals are getting married and they one of the individuals knows in sometime in the future at an unknown date you know, there will be a windfall of, of money coming. The interesting part about that power dynamic is sometimes it's not just two people. It's not just the two partners that have to understand, hey, how do we feel about this? There is also a, another party that may be involved, i.e. The, the, the person who comes from family money, their family, their parents, their father, their right, mother. Right. They're, yeah. they're going to have an opinion on what that looks like depending on the financial circumstances of, of this relationship. Sure. I mean, what if, what if grandma that owns the oil fields doesn't like your new spouse, right? Sure. <laughs> and you were, and you, you were going to get $20 million and now you're getting nothing. I mean, there's, there's just, it's, it's infinite. Yeah. The amount and not of that I, different that I think most are, is that dramatic, but I do think that there can be just s some more subtle, you know, deep-seated uncertainties, fears, insecurities, resentments that could build up that now create friction within the relationship because of this money dynamic that that's occurring. And like we said before, I mean, the, we're trying to provide solutions here, right? That's right. So we're not just reciting the statistics. We, we kind of get them and we've, we've honed in on just the, the dramatic nature of these statistics, but... The, the point is still the same. It's communication, right? It's getting, you know, if you were going to go to marriage counseling to work out your differences, and this is the number one difference that people have, set that half an hour, even if it's just once a month, you know, once a week would be even better, but set that half an hour or hour once a month. And I think you'll find when you sit down and have it on the calendar and you go, hey, it's five o'clock on the last Friday of the month, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about money and you get it out there. You might say things because you're in that forum that you're really feeling that you otherwise wouldn't say. That's right. And that's healthy. So let's, let's get on to our, our rapid fire solutions, our top relationship saving money tips. Um, so number one, we already alluded to this is deal with your debt. I think that this is an individual and a communal topic, right? If you individually are coming into a relationship with debt, focus on that debt. It will make the biggest difference as it relates to the happiness or perceived happiness, the longevity of that relationship. There's two basic choices with that, but there's 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 more choices once you get into sure. it. The two basic choices is are you take care of your own debt until it's gone, or as a couple, we are going to operate as a partnership here and we're going to eliminate that debt as ours, even though you came to the relationship with that. That could be a, a tricky conversation, but it's one you have to have. That's right. 
Not having the not having the conversation is the anti tip. That's right. right. Number two, relationship saving money tip is know your financial personality. So, Bill, you alluded to this already, but are you the person who likes to deal with the money? Do you enjoy tracking the bills and the budgets? Uh, do you have two people who both enjoy that process? Do neither of you enjoy that? and understand what your own financial personality is so that as you're coming into this relationship and there's now just another party, another financial party, another actual person and and their personality coming into it, you can now have a really healthy conversation about, hey, here's what I'm comfortable doing, what I'm not comfortable doing, and how we should sort of divide and conquer or tackle this together as a team. And and I would even add the, the very touchy, uh, notion of question your partner's acumen. How many times, Andrew, have we seen one part of a uh, a relationship say, "Yeah, I handle the money," and they're you know, back to episode thirty-two, they're day trading their retirement account, right? That's right. So you can say, "Hey, I don't know a lot about money. My spouse does, but does he or she know? Uh, do, do they know what they're doing? Maybe you should get a third party in there, and maybe you should agree that, hey." It's best because we can agree on certain things to have uh, a third party come in and help us out with this. That's right. Number three, your number three relationship saving money tip is just check your ego. And this is really important as it relates to power dynamics. So oftentimes, you know, the person who has a, a powerful position, financially powerful position in the relationship can tend to be more selfish, can tend to be a little bit more controlling or aggressive as it relates to money making decisions because of whatever power dynamic may, may be at play. So within that relationship, do things to really encourage support and allow your significant other to apply and take as much control over the finances as you already have, right? So let's just use the income disparity as one. Maybe you make all of the income and your your partner makes makes none. Maybe you delegate certain spending decisions to your partner. I know that certainly I've seen this in our my relationship and my wife made the decision years ago to stay home and stay with our children. There are certain thresholds and dollar limits that I do not spend without first checking in with her because I want to make sure that I have the okay, our family is making the right financial decision as we're spending on on certain things. So that's right. just one one way to kind of help control the balance of power within a relationship. And again, that came from your pre-communication, right? That's right. That's absolutely right. Uh, number four, address family matters. The number four relationship saving money tip. So address family matters. So as you are in a relationship and now I'm starting to speak to married people, uh, you are creating a family unit. There will be certain things that are going to be important for your family to, to accomplish. This becomes incredibly more, you know, layered and complex when you start to have children involved in the scenario. So address the things that are most important to your family unit first as you're navigating financial decisions. Extremely important. And the last relationship saving money tip is passing along good habits. So as we've alluded, you know, in earlier episodes, we talked about money scripts, starting to change those money scripts, not just for yourself, 
but for future generations. And here's where it becomes, you know, really critical is you want to empower your children, the next generation to enter into their relationships with really, really, really good money habits. It's going to allow and set them up for better relationships, right? Whether it's marriage or dating or just even relationships in business, I think that this is so important. So stay tuned because you already know to come is going to be a, a money episode on how to parent your children with money. I'm looking forward to that one, Andrew, because I, I think this is such an important topic. And as you said, we we've talked about the money scripts, but but now we're going to we're going to go forward with that. We have these scripts that we pass along. We want to teach our children better than our parents taught us, sure. right? We want to take all the good that our parents taught us, leave out all the bad, and then pass along that that good to the next generation. But money. Right. People are so afraid to talk about money and finance. Right. Whether because of they're they're not well versed in it or they've had bad experiences with it or they're currently having a bad experience. It needs to be addressed. And not only within the family unit of spouse to spouse, partner to partner, but to the next generation and to the teacher children. Well, right. That's what we're trying to do here on Dollars and Sensibility. We want to make money conversations safe. So hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Five money saving relationship tips and some things to be aware of uh, with love and money. So uh, you already know what to do. You want to like, subscribe, share this with a friend, tag them uh, on social media, send this to them, put it in, in their inbox. You know they're going to enjoy the episodes. And as always, thank you so much for joining us each and every single Friday. This has been fantastic. I'm Andrew Martz. And Bill McBride. Thank you for listening to the Dollars and Sensibility podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can join us for each and every episode. Follow us on social media at WIS Advisors and be sure to check out our website at wisadvisors.com. Tune in for the next step on the bridge between dollars and the mind of the sensible investor. Thanks for listening. Bill McBride and Andrew Martz are investment advisor representatives and registered representatives with Western International Securities Incorporated. All the opinions expressed by Andrew, Bill, and all podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Western International Securities. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Western International Securities may maintain positions discussed in this podcast.